What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. This week, we are going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 16, The Forsaken. Mike, how's it going? Keith, it is going great. Uh, I mentioned to the patrons the other last night, whenever I dropped it, that um, I'm heading away for a little while. So uh, it was nice to spend a little time in the studio one last time watching an episode, but not to fear. Uh, we're gonna keep it rolling. Things might get yeah. disrupted a little bit, but we're trying that they trying to, that they won't. Trying yeah. that they won't. Trying to make it so that they won't. I've lost the ability to speak, but I'm uh, <laughs> excited to talk a little trek today. Interesting episode. Great episode, in my that, opinion. Spoiler I, alert. I yeah, it is. It is definitely one of the one of the episodes that I remember from season one uh, that I enjoy. So uh, you know, uh, to, to, to humble brag, you're out to go star in a musical for a, yeah, for sure. a while. So. Yeah, yeah, that's what's that's what's happening. That is the literal truth. You are yeah. you are starring professionally in a musical coming up indeed. next week. So that is what is happening. So before we get into this episode. Uh, which I think we're both excited to talk about. Let's talk about the other things we are excited to talk about, and that is you. That is the people who help and support this show. First off, before we get into all like the super complicated stuff, you can do us a huge favor by liking and subscribing. Mm -hmm. uh, hit the notification bell right here. Uh, we, we have a small but mighty audience that we would like to have a medium-sized but mighty audience, and you can help us do that. By uh, by sharing, liking, subscribing, doing all of that stuff, and uh, watching the whole video. You, what's that? Watching the whole video, helpful. Watch the whole video. Yeah, that that definitely helps. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, the, the, the even smaller and even mightier crowd of folks who financially support this show to get all sorts of fun bonus content, and those are, of course, our patrons, which you can find on Patreon. Dot com slash K and M and we just disappeared. Uh, we're coming. But, uh, I, I had the patron thing here. It, it existed <laughs> at one point. Oh, but wait, their yeah. support has yes. not disappeared, including our patrons, Michael. Yes, Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, Cloud Lover 69, Jorge Navoa, and Mysterious. Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, and Charles Babbage. You can find us at patreon.com slash KM. Thank you so much for being part of the team. Yeah, and there's all sorts of fun stuff there, including watching Mike watch Deep Space Nine, which is oddly entertaining uh, to, to watch Mike cycle through and uh, watch his little brain work while we're mm -hmm. uh, while he's watching. It's, it's, uh, it's really fun. There's also bonus episodes. We know we owe you one. We're going to do it. We have AMAs, and we have all sorts of uh, other stuff. You can contact us directly. And uh, you get the behind the scenes of our other podcast, the Out of Practice Podcast, which is closing up shop because we have gotten through all 168 episodes If Keith of looks practice. frenzied, it's because he has been working nonstop, not sleeping, to prep... Mm -hmm. What I I know very little about our grand finale, and I'm so excited to be a part of it just to fly on the wall to see mm -hmm. how we're going to celebrate going out. And for our patrons, our last second on this, my wife is probably mm -hmm. going out of town for a couple months to star in her own musical. And mm -hmm. if that happens, the content that will flow in those three months <laughs> will be plentiful. With nothing nothing to drives do. content like loneliness. <laughs> so we thank all of you. Please... If you can, uh, support the channel. We appreciate you just being here. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, 
I think uh, we should start talking about this episode. Yeah. And uh, you know how we do that, Mike? We do that by talking a little bit about the world that was taking place when this episode aired. It aired on May 23rd, 1993. I was just wiping the birthday cake off of my face to sit down and watch The Forsaken. The top song, oh, I can't wait to hear it, is, uh, of course, That's the Way Love Goes, the Janet Jackson classic. Uh, I pity the fools who don't know how this song goes. And mm-hmm. speaking of goes, that's how love goes. <laughs> and there go our subscribers. <laughs> click, 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 check. They even leave in today. Our friend Tom is already typing about our bad singing. Oh. <laughs> All right, so that was, I mean, yeah. no wonder that was a number one hit. I, you know, I'm surprised it's not still the number one hit. Maybe some countries. Our t- <laughs> That's true. Our top movie was uh, Sliver. Do you remember that in like the... Um, it wasn't quite in the naughty section at the uh, at your local blockbuster, but it was definitely one that like you couldn't rent without your mom giving you the. Uh, the yeah, or... it was like close to like the section that was covered by beads, but that's not, that's right, that's right. Hey, kids, do you remember video stores? And do you remember the little beaded section? Uh, because I sure do. Uh, this was, of course, the Sharon Stone, William Baldwin, and Tom Berenger mm. movie. Was this before or after Nine and a Half Weeks? Because it was kind of, I actually have never seen Sliver, but it was sort of in that world, wasn't it? Wasn't there? I'm also confusing it with another, like, I think, like, B-movie type horror thing called Slither. Which was like oh, a, Slither was great. I yeah. love Slither. Anyway, uh, we don't have a lot of information to give you about Slay, Slimmer. Slimmer? S- Sliver. Slimmer. No, Sliver. no, that's what we'd like to be, but. I, the, I, I, uh, <laughs> you're, you're a slim and trim fellow. Me, I, I could, you know. I could stand to chase Sharon Stone around a little bit, try to uh, work it off. Because right now, she don't have to go in like a slow amble, and I would never catch her. So, the New York Times headline. It's also known says, as a shamble. Uh, a shamble. Yes, indeed. Uh, allies announce strategy to curb fighting in Bosnia. U.S. offers planes, not men. Um, as we were uh, ramping up to decide whether or not to intercede in a horrible conflict in uh, in Europe. So, uh, times have changed. Anyway, so this episode of Deep Space Nine, season one, episode 16, The Forsaken, was directed by Les Landau, the uh, very regular Star Trek director. He last directed Progress, which uh, we both enjoyed. And this episode was written by Don Carlos Dunaway, his only Trek credit, Don Carlos, and Michael Piller with a story... By Jim, by Jim Trombetta. I don't know why Jim was hard for me. Well, yesterday's a hard word for me. Jim if it was, Trombetta. If, if Jim was easier for you, you wouldn't need to shamble. <laughs> Nailed it. Yes. Well, oh my God. That's that's why you join patreon.com slash KNM for the cutting humor. Here we are. Uh yes, so uh Jim Trombetta, who uh, wrote five episodes of Deep Space Nine and one of Voyager. So uh, what do you say we talk about some trivial trivia, Mike? Yeah, I think it's absolutely time for that. Ooh, is there a bumper? Now Keith, waste your time. 
with Trivial Trivia. Okay. So here's a, I like keeping up on the costumes, right? Mm-hmm. The uniforms, I'm a, like I'm, I'm a great like Trek uniform costume kind of person. So we'll be tracking this all the way through. And this is actually the first change of one of our made, uh, one of our uh, major characters uniforms. It's very subtle, but uh, Kira's uniform changes. It is oh. now a jumpsuit rather than a jacket and pants. Um, yeah. And you will, you'll remember that she had the jacket, which we saw her take off in uh, none other than progress. Uh, but now it is a jumpsuit, which is uh, odd. I think both from a uh, from the actress's standpoint, having a jacket and pants way better than a jumpsuit, but also from Kira's standpoint. I feel like Kira wouldn't want that, but there must have been some sort of a production reason why they wanted to do that. Our next piece of trivial trivia is Benita Andre, Anara, is the sister of Benito Martinez, who played Transporter Chief Salazar in Descent Part 2 of The Next Generation, which would air four months later. So I'm wondering, uh, maybe there was a family connection helped get the job, uh, but Benito Martinez also plays David Aceveda in The Shield, uh, coming up in uh, about a decade. So good actor, and was really just a a spot player with like a one-liner in uh, The Descent but went on to big things. The uh, next piece of trivia about this episode was, uh, this was a bottle episode because they were running out of money for Mm. the season. So uh, in case you don't know, a bottle episode means that it takes place entirely on existing sets. So they don't go anywhere new. There's no new part of Deep Space Nine. They're just filming on the sets that already exist. And that saves a ton of money because you're not having to build a completely new environment. Um, and uh, I frequently like the bottle episodes because it usually um, gives the writers more of a challenge um, to tell a compelling story on sets we already know. So it, there we it go. also I find that it 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 tell it it speaks to a lot of confidence uh, from the production standpoint because um, the other option generally and maybe not this early in the run of a series but generally when you get when you start flagging for money you get one of two things bottle episode or mm-hmm. And Golden Girls is famous for this, the clip show, where you sort of have the <laughs> the, the, uh, the character sitting around a table reminiscing, and then we just flip back to basically cuts of reruns. Oh so, my god, uh, the, the clip show is like the... I, I'm glad that that's not a thing anymore. Yeah. The last clip show that I'm aware of was The Office did one, which I couldn't oh believe god. that The Office yeah. was going to do a clip show, but they did. Um... Uh, do you, Mike, do you, are you aware of the uh, the only clip show in Star Trek history? Uh, you know, Keith, might shock uh, you and the patrons to know that I'm not. Mm, I imagine it was mm. on TNG, right? It was on TNG. Yes, Shades of Grey. Uh, it's bad. So, uh... <laughs> oh, good to know. Noted. Mercifully, uh, I can I can spare us all. There is no clip show for Deep Space Nine. But I'm, but there is uh, one more piece of trivial trivia, and that is about the visual effects because this is the first time we see Odo in his liquid state. We we see him transform into a liquid and then into other things, but this is his static liquid state. Visual effects supervisor Gary Herzl uh, uh, would, uh, 
made to Odo in his liquid state, he said that his staff had four CGI artists program several thousand 3D spherical shapes and combine their surfaces mathematically. So we kind of, so he said, uh, we had kind of a bubbling movie moving essence inside the glob that poured into into Majel Barrett's lap. It's, you know, it's it's funny because, like, by today's standards, it's not great. Yeah, there's probably a pre, like, a a pre-macro in Final Cut that just does that effect. Oh, I'm sure you can do it on your iPhone now. Yeah. But it's, uh, but the amount of work that went into that to create that illusion um, really speaks to the incredible amount of work that goes into stuff, especially in sci-fi, that we have no idea. We don't realize, you know, and I, I know a great deal more about the sound world than the visual world, but in the sound world, you know, you hear a well, that's not just like a it's 15 different things distorted and changed and layered and echoed and reversed and slowed down and sped up to create that sound. Um, it's a, There's a tremendous amount of work that goes into the details stuff like here so hats off uh even if by budgetarily limitations from 1993 our guest stars this week mm. uh include constance towers who plays taxco michael ensign who plays ambassador lojal who also did three characters on next generation voyager and enterprise jack Shear plays valdosia who will play a romulan on deep space nine plus Two different admirals on Voyager. And, of course, I have to introduce last the first lady of Star Trek, Majel Barrett, who plays Lwaxana Troy. Uh, Now, have you seen any of the Next Generation episodes with uh, Lwaxana? So she is related to Counselor Troy. Is her mother. Okay, because I knew uh, the name, I, I... I made the connection, but I didn't. It seemed it would. It seemed somewhat silly if it wasn't her. Like if it wasn't, she wasn't related. I wasn't aware of the of who it was or the lore attached. So, so, so you haven't seen a Troy episode in Next Generation. Interesting. So Not with her, yes. No. So this is this is Deanna Troy's mother, who is a full Beta Z, whereas Deanna is a half Beta Z. And so, oh, that's so interesting that you haven't seen all of her backstory because. Um, she does many episodes of The Next Generation and is frequently chasing Picard around like she does oh, Odo in this episode. She likes a complicated man. She certainly does. And um, she makes reference to uh, making out with a Ferengi, which was the in an episode uh, Menage a Troy, which should uh, maybe be one of our bonus episodes because yeah. it's now referenced in this well, it'd be episode. interesting to hear, to know the full sort of context of her character, because I think for those on the outside looking in or just have just recently being let in, uh, like myself, I find that this episode did an incredible, if not Herculean job for like creating a fully fleshed emotional uh, backstory and arc for a character. Because in the first four minutes, five minutes after the pre-roll to act one, I thought for sure this was like a comedic character, comedic, like she's mm. going to have all comedic beats. And then by the end, I'm like verge of tears, one of the most beautiful scenes in the series so far. Yeah. And I was like, wow, what a heavy lift for an actress and just, just incredible. And so I feel like I know this character. I was, I, I think I mentioned on my feed, I hope that we see more of her because it's, uh, 
really awesome. And the relationship they built with Oda, I mean, just we'll talk about it. But uh, well, yeah. it's it, it's it's exciting, and and you know, because Majel Barrett has incredible range as as an actress. Now, uh, do you know the rest of her Star Trek world? No. Okay. Well, when I say she's the first lady of Star Trek, Buckle I up. mean it. Mm-hmm. Buckle up, because uh, she is the uh, the wife of the creator of Star Trek, period, Gene Roddenberry. You've mentioned that. She, heard that yes. Before. She also uh, is the voice of the computer, of the Federation computer. So anytime you hear Picard talk to the computer, it's her. But not the computer in Deep Space Nine? Because it's a Cardassian computer. Aha. Uh-huh. Ah, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, did you know, also, she... Uh, She's on the original series. This here figure is a figure of Nurse Chapel, the character Dang. that she Nailed plays it. on the original series. Did you also know that she in the uh in the unaired pilot of the of the original series which did not get picked up. She was not only it, Mike's getting a delivery. Uh oh damn, that's so mean. Uh, big, so guys, not only time, real quick, just yeah, yeah, keep yeah. Out, n- n- mm. for nothing. Pro tip, life tip, marry yeah. my wife. Okay, well, good to know, folks. Uh, <laughs> you can find her eight shows a week coming mm. up soon. Uh, yeah, seven, so, seven shows. Seven shows, really? The whole thing, whole thing. Oh, that's how they're saving money. Okay, anyway, we'll talk about that off air. Anyway, so not only was did she play Nurse Chapel on the original series, she was in the unaired original pilot of Star Trek playing number one. Whoa. She was the first officer of the Enterprise in the original pilot. Nepotize much? Uh, no, because she's freaking She's incredible. Great. I'm just teasing. Yeah, obviously. Uh, I don't even know if they were married yet. Uh, but... And here's where we just get into the brutality that is uh, sexism in this world. Uh, the network's like, uh, you cannot have a first officer be a woman. There's no way. It didn't test so, well, Keith. It didn't test well. So uh, instead of being the first officer of the freaking Starship Enterprise, she was a, a nurse in no pants. But she went on to uh, do a great deal of things. Teddy, test audiences loved those no pants. Uh, indeed. Indeed. But uh, anyway, so Majel Barrett is Star Trek royalty on a level that's kind of hard to match. So uh, there you go. I think now it is time to uh, hop in to our screening room and get into this episode. What do you say? Let's do it. With it, with a little trivia. Oh, let's sing. Let's all sing together. That's so terrible. Oh, we're bad people. Oh, God, I love it. (laughs) So, here we are. It's Deep Space Nine. Let us do it in the teaser. We begin with the station log. A delegation of annoying Federation ambassadors have shown up to investigate the wormhole. And Cisco dumps the duty on Bashir because he's also annoying. 
a Vulcan, a Bolian, and an Asbar, uh, Arbazin walk into the bar. They complain into complain about their quarters and pretty much everything else. They want to see Cisco, but he's clearly ducking them, and Bashir is drowning. Uh, so we have lots of good uh, typical Star Trek silliness happening here. Then, bum bum bum, and Mike doesn't even know this is a bum 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 moment. Loxana Troy is there, and someone has stolen her hair brooch as she gambles. She's pissed. Naturally, Quark doesn't care. Yeah. He's uh, the the fine print the is sign. above the door. The fine print is on the door, but Loxana grabs Quark by the earballs and threatens him until Odo arrives. Because, like, if you really think about it, the ears and the balls are kind of the same thing in a Ferengi, so... Yeah, I mean, and she says as much as they still are in the phase of, like, just kind of telling us everything and showing us, like, kind of at the same time, but she's like, I know where to get you on the ears, and it's great. They play the scene exactly as if she was grabbing his junk. It's awesome. Yep. Uh, and because she's a Beta Zed and telepathic, Odo asks her if she senses any guilt in the room. She doesn't, but Betazoids can't read Ferengis. This we have seen before and is an important plot point later, or, or earlier, I guess. Odo backs up Quark, then uh, discovers, which is weird, because he's like, yeah, Quark didn't do it, because Quark wouldn't, wouldn't do it this way. Uh, but he discovers a weird-looking dude looking shifty. He's a Dopterian and a distant cousin of the Ferengis, which is why she couldn't read him. Turns out he did have the brooch and a bunch of other stuff. Waxana is impressed and digging on Odo, and that's our teaser. So what? So so Mike, where are you at the uh, after the teaser here? Cool. In fact, I think I mentioned I I really appreciate because you didn't see it a lot on television, right? If there was a pre-roll like scene. It was very brief, but this is, they've given us, they're giving us full scenes, like Mm -hmm. five minute scene before we even roll the credits. That is baller. And I think it really has established an identity on this show, because if I'm not mistaken, this is not, you're not seeing this on television a lot in, in, in many, uh, hour dramas. A longer teaser. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the, you think about television and television writing as being so incredibly rigidly structured, and in a lot mm-hmm. of ways it is, but the length of the teaser is is always interesting because you have, you know, you have the you have the five act structure, but the acts can be pretty malleable. You know, mm-hmm. we have some acts that are three minutes long and others that are fifteen. Um, so uh, it's interesting. It's a, just a mix of art and commerce. And the other piece that they tease here is. Uh, that I th- think is cool is well. First, I'm thinking, oh, she's a a, uh, a telepath, so that's going to be a big part of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool that it isn't ultimately, but it's it's a nice piece of information. And then also the past couple episodes. Now I have complained. I'm not complained. I've lightly commented upon the fact that often in these pre rolls or these teasers, as we're calling them, uh, they they give us too much. They set up too many pieces for the episode. What I liked here is that in the past couple of episodes, they've dropped breadcrumbs about Odo being a little bit lonely and uh, Mm -hmm. confused by or isolated, isolated, upset by sort of the human, the human romantic condition or some other like human Mm -hmm. things. And so they've done that 
they've done that lifting prior to this episode. So the tease at the very end here where she's like, I, I want to know more about that guy. Even if you don't know her history of chasing around these dudes, it's all set there. And you're like, oh, we're going to get an Odo episode where there's some, is it going to be, a, here I'm thinking it's all going to be comedy, which I'm okay mm-hmm. with. Uh, so it's a great, as far as the teaser goes, absolutely awesome time to drop the credits. Yeah, and it's and it's a great, it's it's the stakes at this point are emotional. They're 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 people. It's sort of comedic, but because of the backstory that we know about Odo and his sort of feeling isolated, um, and being and rejecting romance and relationships offhand, uh, this is where the distinction between Odo and say Data or Spock comes out, because Data doesn't get it because he doesn't have emotions. You know, Spock is like, this is irrelevant to me because I'm, you know, I also, I reject my emotions. Whereas Odo, it's coming from a completely different place, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't date, he doesn't have relationships because he's kind of afraid of them and doesn't know how to do it. Whereas, you know, he's pretending that he's not interested, but he's a very emotional character and very, much more vulnerable than than he shows and i think that that backstory here and whether or not you know loxana troy's story or not you know she's a button pusher immediately and she's and she's going to push the boundaries and she's going to be exactly what odo needs to sort of poke him out of his defenses there the other thing i think that is real quick sorry um we keep talking about we're not going to belabor these points but then that's all we do it's our podcast we can do whatever the heck we want i feel that the other, the other success of this teaser is that we've also, by this point in the series, in the season, established kind of who Julian is and what his role is. He's kind of like, he's like he's not annoying, but he's like a little titsy fly in your ear. And so it's it's mm-hmm. no big surprise that Ben was like, get these people out. I can't deal with it right now. Deal, You deal with it, Julian. You think, you don't think they're setting up like a heroic, vin, uh, 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 what's the word? Uh, vindication arc for Julian here, but... But there's this. It's subtle enough that when it comes, you're like, yeah, go, yeah. It's like you champion him. So I really think this is like perfectly. This is them finding the teaser beat, exactly the stride it should be. So I'm, yeah. I'm pumped. All right. Well, let's go into Act One, where we discover O'Brien is fighting with the computer because it's programmed to very low Cardassian standards of efficiency. He gets assistance from a, an Abajoran engineer. As he keeps arguing with the computer, it keeps stopping him from what he wants to do. They're not friends. He decides to do a root canal. He's going to rebuild the computer all the way. So I, I think it's it's sort of interesting here because we're basically he's fighting with his operating system. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like we're if if you're a Windows guy and then you have to come into some operating system from some, I don't know, from some other country in a different language, and it just, like, it doesn't operate the way you want it to. I totally get that. Yeah, or a better analogy now, and they didn't know it then. This, you know, you talk about Star Trek being pres- so prescient at times. Mm. You know, maybe we haven't got to the point to, like, personalities in our operating systems, but, you know, you ever if you've ever gone, or I can tell you personal experience, uh, for my anniversary this past year, we went to this really nice Airbnb, this chalet. It was great because this guy had clearly done his home very much. Uh, what do they call it? The cyber home or what do they, what do they call that? High tech, modern. Yeah, whatever. Uh, integrated. And it was cool because he's like, oh, if you want to turn the lights on for the living room, just like, you know, 
Alexa, do this, do that. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that if you don't like get it right or say it right or how they named the things, you end up in the dark or with like the radio playing (laughs) or like you can't get that light off or you can't get like light the bathroom on. And so it it became more of a pain in the butt Mm -hmm. than it was helpful. So that's almost like exactly what's happening here. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And this, you know, the Cardassians have like an off-brand operating system. So it's not even Alexa. It's like whatever an off-brand Alexa would be. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know what I mean. Shalexa. (laughs) Mike, Shalexa, okay. Uh, My brother, in fact, you can, so Google, you can't change the name of it. But Alexa, you apparently can change the name. So like. He made my all my mom's her old cat's name Ziggy. So you go to my mom's house and you're like Alexa, Jesus, we just play jazz. But it, she's like, you got to call it Ziggy. And I was like, all right, forget it, we're out of here. Ziggy oh, being wow. a computer in Quantum Leap, also. Oh, that's cool. Well, it's a of deep course, K and M cut. Of course, mine works. I I say computer, mm. which which also works because like why wouldn't you? What you know? Why wouldn't you have Alexa be computer? Uh, all right. Not that I ever use it because I'm too paranoid. Anyway. So uh, Bashir arrives with the ambassadors. Cisco clearly hates them. Then, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I love how Ben obnoxious Ben as like the head of the whole station is just annoyed by everyone. Well, I mean, these people are particularly annoying, which yeah. which is weird because an ambassador of all people, you'd think would be not annoying. And find ways not to be annoying. But like that, uh, they've been they've been ambassading for so long that they just got really particular tastes. They want to be well, entertained, it, Keith. Oh, I mean, probably uh, still works the same way. The ambassadors are appointed because they were political donors, mm. not because they have any ambassading skills. Uh, so where am I? Oh, then an unidentified vessel comes through the wormhole. It's a drift. Is it a probe? A ship? Who a knows? Penis? It could be a penis. They tow it close to the station and try to interface with it. And well, the ambassadors Yeah, there it is. It's penile. It, it's it's it is a it is a tiny phallic, tiny bit phallic, but you know, most probes in space tend to be. Yeah. Uh but uh yeah, it looks pretty broke down. The uh, ambassadors continue to be annoying, and Cisco sends them off. And we discover Odo is chilling in his office when Troy comes in. To seduce him. Mm. And uh, what you're able to, sh- as you're going through all the screenshots there, cool makeup effects. Yeah, absolutely. I, the the, the Bolian uh, always looks good. The, the blue is so striking yep. on screen. Honestly, I was thinking that myself. Uh, very good. Uh, that's probably Michael Westmore. So um, Odo's playing Bejeweled. O- Odo is playing uh, Candy Crush. And uh she comes in to seduce him and points out that he is the thin beige line between order and that chaos. That was funny. That was funny. <laughs> I don't know why the, the uh, Bajoran's uniform is so dressed like boring. Yeah, she's dressed like uh, Bertha from Pippin. Deep cut, musical theater cut. Mm-mm-mm. She's got magic to do with, uh, with Odo, perhaps. She makes him very uncomfortable. Uh, but she's Luboxana, after all, and she wants to bang immediately. <laughs> she has never been with a shapeshifter, and he runs away screaming. Great great screenshot here. Great screenshot. It's so good. And, you know, it's and Renee's performance here is so excellent that he's able to do that under all the prosthetics. 
because that's not even that, that most of that's not his skin. <laughs> he has to do most of it with his eyes and his voice and uh, is really able to convey. I'm freaking out. Please don't touch me. But I'm going to try to do this with dignity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's great. It's funny. You know, it's it's silly. So in act two, and that's, that's and that's sad, how we dude. go to commercial. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we go to so commercial awesome. with just a, a, a personal beat, which again is a is a I I like it. I like it. You speak to confidence. I think it, it is confident. And this, of course, we have the really cool set. I love the arch thing that goes oh, over yeah. it. They're like, we're going uh, broke, but look what we spent our money on. Well, I think that's it. The producers were like We've spent so much money on this set. We've only used like 30% of it. Will you please get that on screen? We paid for all those lights. Get that camera on a crane, hoist it up, and get that mm-hmm. whole thing in the shot. Damn right. Uh, and it's worth it. It looks amazing. Yeah, looks awesome. Um, so Dax is trying to communicate with the probe, and it seems to work. O'Brien is shocked that the computer actually worked properly this time. Odo goes to Cisco's office and complains about Loxana. She's chasing him. Cisco, of course, finds it amusing and tells Odo, let her catch you. Because why not, right? They're, yeah, they're, like, they're single. They're, ben, I mean, Ben's Odo's, enjoying this. Ben's enjoying it quite a bit. Is is loving it. And uh, they're all single, ready to mingle in goo. Why not, right? So uh, Odo is confused by romance. He refers to flowers <laughs> like this as sacrificing various plants to serve as tokens of affection. It's pretty good writing. Yeah, this whole episode, really great writing. Yeah, it's just, it's it's both, well, you know, I, I think what this episode is is great at because it starts with very fun, it's very clever, it's great, great little zingers and descriptions of stuff, and then it, really, it stabs you in the heart. It's great. Um, he asks, Odo asks Cisco to tell Loaxana to leave him alone. Cisco is having none of it. This is fun. Then O'Brien and his assistant read the data on the probe. Turns out it's a giant computer, uh, but not much more information. Uh, so, so this B story, right? Mm-hmm. What are, what are you feeling here? Are you, are you clocking it? Or were you suspicious that the computer started working all of a sudden? What were you feeling here? No, uh, and and I think they they throw you a decent red herring because at the end of the first beat where O'Brien's talking about the root canal and all that stuff, and and actually that was, we kind of skipped past that beat. There's a really important beat there where Ben's like, "Is this really necessary?" Blah 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 blah. And O'Brien kind of throws a hissy fit because if you don't, if because if you, as we've commented on before, jokingly, O'Brien busts his butt mm. around the station, and he's like, "Yo, I got to work with this computer all the time." And it's given me grief. It's a pain in the, it's a pain. And, and you can see Ben literally acquiesce and be like, yo, do what you have to do. I want you to do what you have to do. And so at this point, they, they fooled me. I was like, oh, he must've started the work and it's getting better. It, it, right. there was a, it was enough there that when the stuff happens, I don't want to give it away, that I, it, I'm like, aha. Uh, there is one bit where I'm like, hmm, but we'll get there. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, uh, so O'Brien assistant read the data from the computer. We don't know. Then Odo is sneaking, but is caught by Lawaxana. They end up in a turbo lift, which I thought that it was a crazy visual effect here. Once they went, I don't know if you got a screenshot of it, but as they're traveling, here it is. As they're traveling the pilot, we we see the floors going by. Is there no inner door on the lift? 
Maybe it's glass. Because that seems seems right? wildly dangerous. No, well, it can't be glass because they walk through it. I guess it must be a force field or something. Oh, maybe. Uh, it I feels about it. very unsafe, but that's also very Cardassian because they don't, Cardassian don't care about stuff like that. Uh, and in this scene, Odo explains that he doesn't eat or have a digestive tract, and then he turns into a liquid every 16 hours. And which I think is a, an interesting and good part about the character. Troy doesn't care about any of it. He's like, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, rad. Um, which is, uh, I, I think is both part of the identity of Loaxana Troy, but also the ethics of Star Trek, right? Because like the diversity and differences, like, great. Who cares? Let's go for it. And I like it. Um, well, not only then, that, this is where the big the episodes, that's where the big kind of fulcrum of the episode is because it, it's very clear from the beginning that she doesn't give a damn. So who does? And right. that's what the episode's going to be about. So Right, right, right. And, and, uh, and in fact, more than she doesn't give a damn, it makes him more compelling. Mm-hmm. Right, it's more interesting because she's never done it before, and you know we get the sense the is probably she's she's probably let's say experienced much of the galaxy, and mm-hmm. something new coming in that's awesome, that's exciting. Did they establish in the beginning they established that she can't mind read or she can't like feel for uh, the Ferengis and such, but can she? Right. Did she say she also can't read shapeshifters? She did not. She did not. So um, so clearly, quite- I'm going to make the assumption. That she's not like just overtly sexually harassing him by pursuing him when he's clearly not interested. I think she senses that there's some mutual interest, but that he's got some other guardrails. It's it's very possible that that's that that is the case. And um, you know, Loaxana, we know from her character before, also is perfect. Is you know, she she likes to read what she wants to read. Mm. So she'll she uh, she she might pick up on latent attraction that not be there but she you know but uh, like, like we all do we read our social cues as we <gasps> um, as are necessary keith oh god the, the the power just went out your power just went out no no no. i was i was like in in canon i was like doing it i see wow you did such a good job that you know guys this is why this is why mike is off to star in a musical as a professional actor and singer because mm-hmm. he just he totally fooled me. I was like, "Do you have a battery backup on your computer?" Now, keep Which, did the deep tan that I got fool you into my ethnicity? Uh, it certainly did not. <laughs> no, no, you we we can see Italian from miles away. <laughs> Great, cool, glad to hear. So <laughs> then. As you were trying to segue us into so we can move on with our day, the turbo lift stops and they're stuck in an elevator. Uh Uh-oh. They try to beam them out, but it doesn't work. Lwaxana is thrilled because Odo cannot escape. So in Act 3, O'Brien tries to figure out why the turbo lift and the transporters aren't working. Everything seems to be working fine, uh, but it's not working. Kira reminds Odo that he can't shapeshift out of the turbo lift as well, which is an important distinction there. They have open electrical, you know, again, Cardassian safety standards, not good. But there are open electrical currents around it so he can't sneak out. Uh, Troy suggests a quickie. Odo doesn't, <laughs> wants His to sit His face tells the quietly. tale, yeah. <laughs> Odo wants to sit quietly. Quiet isn't something Troy does. And I think there's this is the first like really interesting moment of 
vulnerability uh, for, for Troy here. She sits down. She needs to talk. Um, and she's not comfortable not talking. Um, she tells some of the story to Menage Troy, which we should watch. She confesses to uh, doing it with Damon Tog, a Ferengi, and uh, Odo wonders how many volts he could survive being zapped by. <laughs> Zing. Literally. So we head back to Cisco's office. Bashir is losing it. The ambassadors are awful. They're the ambassadors of unhappy. Cisco confesses to hazing Bashir with it because Curzon Dax used to do the same to him. Uh, and it turns out that Cisco punched an ambassador once for trying to assault an ensign. Yikes. Um, but, but, I don't do inter- <laughs> but, 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 but don't, don't do, do that. But don't do that. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, I mean, I, I think I like the sort of layer of backstory here because this actually informs many characters, right? Because it tells us something about Cisco, about how he would handle that situation. It tells us something about Dax because we learn a little nugget about Curzon Dax. It also tells us something about the relationship between Cisco and Bashir. Clearly, Cisco sees some piece of himself in Bashir by giving him this assignment. Um, you know, it's it's very little. It's very brief. It's not a it's not a big part of the story, but I like it. I yeah, like the totally. you know. Again, we talk about what's what's good writing, right? Good writing is integrating all of these things and having every couplet of dialogue mean something. Mm-hmm. And you see so much filler uh, in the bad episodes where what the characters are talking about aren't necessarily tied to their characters. You could cut and paste it into a different show. You could cut and paste it with different characters, but stuff like this is good writing because it's specific to these characters and we're we're peeling the onion back, even in just a quick little couplet that doesn't necessarily mean much. Um, I like it. So uh, O'Brien is confused about why the computer is behaving better, but not running the turbo lifts. O'Brien says he thinks the computer is friendlier and he thinks downloading the probe might have made the computer nicer. And this is a great opportunity to uh, credit the voice of the Cardassian computer. It is uh, voiced by Judy Duran. And it is interesting that we spend so much time analyzing the voice and tone of the computer in an episode that features Majel Barrett, who is the yeah, voice of the Federation cool. computer. Uh, cute little dovetailing there. Uh, O'Brien thinks the computer keeps manufacturing reasons for him to stay talking with it. Is the computer in love with O'Brien? Do we have a double love story happening here? This is where Mike was. So this is where they pull, like, kind of pull the carpet underneath me when they jump to this next conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm thinking one of two things. I have one, I'm like, absolutely, it is like the computer has a little, like, thing for O'Brien all of a sudden, or that whatever they downloaded from the probe like made it fall in love with him, something like that. And I'm like, awesome, double love story, great Mm -hmm. writing. Or even better, it's like something from the probe is trying to imitate the computer or like flatter him or something. And it's in its antagonistic, it's it's devious. Mm. And that I was like, oh, I could be psyched about that. So when we are about to very quickly make an analogy that it's a, I think we're about right there, so I'm not spoiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, that, we're going to make an analogy that it's a puppy or a little baby or a little kid, scared little kid. I'm like, oh, that's a leap of logic that felt very 
Well, I don't think abrupt. it's any any more of a leap than it's in love with him. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just not. It's it seems like, and it, and I, I could actually credit the episode because often I complain that they're just leading me right to the fountain and being like, okay, here's some drink, drink, drink. But so here, they 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 led me, but then they're like, oh. The watering holes over here. Well, that's a, uh. I'm sorry. I apologize for whatever analogy I was just trying to like <laughs> conjure. It wasn't good. Uh, Patreon.com yep. slash KNDAV if you want that analysis. I'll say drink, the, the, drink, drink so, at our Patreon. So maybe it's just, I'm just like bummed that I didn't call it or it felt a little abrupt. Or But regardless, well, they, they no, followed I, through I'm, very well. So I, I'm with you that there is, I, I, I think that there's a convenient leap happening here that they put it together so quickly and are able to sort of um without a great deal of evidence and without a great deal of confirmation just so like oh this is what's happening and i it, i think that's a, com- a story compression issue yeah um just because we have three stories going on and it's this is not I the a story i wouldn't but. elevate it to a wormhole because they do such a great job earlier on establishing how intimate he is with the computer and yeah. b here he's so in tune with it that he can he can hear the slight deviation in voice in vocal quality so if he's that in tune then i i i trust him more than me you know what i mean no no for sure and we're we're setting up that he's paying very close attention to and said and and laying the track that there is a that o'brien thinks about it like a relationship Mm -hmm. you know like i don't have a relationship with windows 11 but I do have a relationship with my piano. And the, it's weird how we project things into whatever we, we feel connected to. So I get it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a little a little bit of a leap, but it's fine. I forgive it. Um, so in Act 4, Dax posits that the probe may have implanted a non-biological life form into the computer. And it's following O'Brien like a puppy. It seems to feed off the energy of the computer. So they decide to transfer it back onto the probe. Um, so this this made perfect sense. You have a, you have a sentient program on the uh, on the probe that you send out, and I first thought, all right. So if this is so such an advanced species that they have a like a sentient program that they send the probe out, and the probe's been out there for a long time, um, which is why it's sort of lonely. I get that. Why would it be? Why wouldn't it be able to communicate? Why would it be acting like a puppy, like a baby, like something young? And then I wondered, like, well, is this how... So if if this species is a uh, non-biological, it's a, it's a it's software, maybe this is their way to procreate. They send babies out to interface with other computers. Maybe it's, it's a childlike on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, so Odo has been in the turbo lift for more than four hours. Cisco and Kira are worried about his regeneration cycle. Um, so This uh, is where I questioned, because mm-hmm. they never clarify it. This is where I questioned, okay, what's the big deal? Yeah, he's got to regenerate every 16 minutes, 16 hours, but does he need the pail, the bucket? Is there something special about it that is... Mm additive to the regeneration cycle or process that because he's stuck in the lift and does not have access to the pail, is he in mortal danger? Which is what you're maybe sort of led to believe um, because when it, because, or is it, because you would not put, you would not associate at this point 
Odo so much with like I hate to use the word hubris. It's not hubris. It's shame, no, it's pride. Yeah, pride shame, or shame. shame, shame, pride. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, I'm kind of thinking that at this point, oh, he need maybe he needs the pail. But that's interesting because nobody mentions it, and nobody is like, we need to find a way to get it to him. Uh, so I'm kind of at this point in the episode, I'm like, I'm, I, I am curious how it's going to play out. Well, and I, I think you answered your question with your question, and that is his pride and his shame. Nobody else knows. If yeah, the bucket is important, mm-hmm. nobody else knows that this is that the danger to Odo is purely his pride. Well, Jake and Nox were willing to roll the dice on that. Well, yeah, they sure were. But I, you know, I I don't know what Cisco and Kira know about his regeneration cycle. I'm surprised they know when it happens. Right. Yeah. Um. So I don't. You know, I would under, I would understand that they don't know whether or not this is dangerous. They don't know whether that the bucket is important. Then um, we're gonna we're gonna know a lot more about that and find out what the bucket represents itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, does the bucket itself represent shame? Um, so we're gonna we're gonna continue on that, and it's gonna be awesome. So, uh, O'Brien, where are we? Yes, O'Brien tries to transfer the program back to the probe, but the computer won't let him. It starts shutting down systems to retaliate because it does not want to go back. So, we come up on Bashir walking through the dark promenade with the ambassadors. They're questioning everyone's competency. He tries to take them back to their quarters. Let's see how that goes. Then we go back to the turbo lift. And Odo is starting to feel it. Mm-hmm. He's starting to sweat from holding his shape too long. And I think he mentions here that he's in hour 15 of his cycle, which that was the part that I didn't, that I thought maybe could have um, been improved in the writing, right? Because if he's starting to like have physical symptoms at hour 15, then his regeneration cycle would be 15 hours, right? Shouldn't, Shouldn't they be in hour 16 and a half and he's like fighting to hold his shape because he's late. He doesn't start breaking down an hour earlier. Well, I don't know if that's, I don't know if I think that like if, if if my MacBook pro can last 16 hours before the battery dies, Mm -hmm. then at hour that at 15 hours and 45 seconds, you know what I mean? Uh, 45 minutes. That's when it's going to start, like, crap's going to start shutting down and things. And and then at, at hour 16, the MacBook shuts off. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was thinking about it more biologically, right? So if he's fighting to stay awake or he's like, you know, <clears throat> he's he's uh, he's had his breakfast, but he, he the meeting hasn't ended. You know what I Let's, mean? How about this? How about you can hold your breath for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. When do you start getting in trouble? Okay, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, well, there it is. That's an analogy we took way too far, but <laughs> you know that's what we do here. <laughs> Odo's face is is his exasperation with our. Uh... Uh, it's like I'm trying to have dignity. God damn it! Why are you talking about this like I'm pooping? So we we learned that Odo has had to practice to hold the human form. He was studied at a research center after being discovered um, that he grew up in a lab. His hair emulates the main scientist who raised him. Uh, now, how much of that backstory... Have we had that backstory before? No, it was new to me. It was new to me. 
that he was like study. He, I, I couldn't at first. I couldn't tell if he was created in a lab, but then it became clear that he was just studied. So yeah, they they discovered him in his infant liquid state in the Denorius belt, which is where close to where they are. Um, and then he was taken back uh, to a Bajoran science place and was studied there. And that was and that's where he learned to take shape and become human humanoid. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Troy realizes how lonely his life must have been. And, uh, Odo starts to, uh, starts to freak out. And he explains that throughout this experience, he tried to fit in by being the life of the party, by shape-shifting, et cetera, and how that was, you know, that's part of the trauma of him growing up. Because he didn't have a family, he didn't have real parents, and have siblings, and have anybody else like him, and he was just trying to be liked, trying to stay up there. So he was doing all the party tricks, and how that was uh, very isolating. I think it's a very, um, I think it's a very layered and interesting backstory that we're starting to get for him here. Um, yeah, and, and so, and we'll talk more about this when we rate the episode. But and start, it starts to be the, the such the genius of the writing, and I guess of what you've been saying about Star Trek in the whole is that. So here's Odo, whose whole thing is that he's isolated, he's unique, and there's nothing like him, and it's about him trying to fit in. But then the whole point here is that, like, who can't relate to that? All yeah. the masks I've had to to put on or the yeah. shapes I've had to shift in order to overcome whatever trauma or whatever yeah. I dealt with, you know. And, and to be and liked each of and us fit has in. our own. Yeah. yeah. So as 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 different as he is and i guess it's what works with the data character you know you mentioned this before as different and as alien as he is he's actually the stand-in for us Mm. that's such a good you know that's a fantastic analysis of that because it really is that right Mm -hmm. we're talking about like i was discovered in space as goo and i had to learn how to take human form and shapeshift and like it's very alien but those feelings he's describing, and I don't know if they're like completely universal. And if, if you don't understand those feelings, like I'm happy for you. Yeah, great. But most of us know exactly what that feels like. And and it's it's very human. It's very emotional. And again, this is this is where Odo, the layer of his character, so he's not a stand-in for Spock. He's not a stand-in for Data. He's his own character because he feels so deeply and he's so wounded mm-hmm. and and hides it and it's it's great so it's here with all the wheels for me emotionally started to really rock because there's yeah. that or it's i mean it could be as simple as i was a chubby kid and and yeah i i i needed to like be really funny because that's that was my way in but yeah. i started planting the seed at that point where i was like well i'll never i'm not physically i'm not ever going to get a a girl's not going to like me or a partner's not going to want me. So Mm. already you start that shame cycle way back. And so, you know, and, and so all of this was like speaking to me and I was thinking about how beautiful it was because he doesn't say any of those things I just said. Like, no, he didn't say any of that. Right. Like he said, he's talking about goo space research. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Ostensibly. But let's not overlook how subtly uh, Ms. Troy is starting to shift from a sort of comedic place to mm. nurturing, to accepting. She says, oh, she doesn't do the hair bit yet, but she's not, she's not saying it, she's just listening. Yeah. And 
demonstrating what compassion can be. It doesn't always have to be the violins play and Ben starts to just give down the wisdom or it, it can just be yeah. teaching. I just thought it was just, I just think this whole arc is just so such great storytelling, but yeah, that's, the, that's I mean, the, the, the empathy that she yes. shows is, is apparent and, and is, is, we could have not even got that last scene and it would have been beautiful yeah, but we it, get it, it's, that too. it's all it's all clear here it just goes mm-hmm. to such another it's it's great it's really good stuff um so he finally confesses that he has to regenerate soon and what are we gonna do then we cut back to ops and o'brien again tries to move the baby program to isolinear rods and the way they're able to they try to get around the fact that he's shutting down systems to retaliate is to intentionally overtax the computer. And essentially, they try to crash the RAM <laughs> so that uh, uh, they are able to move this program over uh, sort of against its will. Uh, and of course, it starts to blue screen like Mike's computer. Then, uh, uh-oh. It's green screen now, Keith, and the new it's, version of Windows. Is it green now? Yeah. See, I, 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 haven't, I haven't crashed yet, so... Uh, anyway, <laughs> there's a plasma surge in the habitat ring, and uh, the same fireball from last episode shoots at Bashir and the ambassadors. Holy crap! I said the same thing. I was like, "Well, that is they recycled that right away." Reduce, reuse, Ooh. recycle. Does that look familiar? <laughs> it is. It sure does. That costs a lot of money. This is a bottle episode. We're trying to save money. And so uh, it is a clip show, Keith. It is a clip show. <laughs> So Bashir and the ambassadors are trapped in a corridor with a lot of fire. Um, and again, other than that big fireball, they're dealing with practical fire here, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, you, you see it on even contemporary shows. Fake fire still doesn't look good. I mean, mm-hmm. you can do it if you're like on a Marvel budget. Um, but I was watching The Bear on Hulu. Great show. Great. Yeah. Highly recommend. Um, you know, but there's a fire sequence and I'm like, no, that's not good. And I get it from a safety standpoint. Uh, yeah, of course, you, you know, we should be de- doing as much digitally as we can now when it comes to safety, obviously. Um, but here in this, the the real practical fire makes a big difference. The real practical fire, the real practical smoke is probably wasn't good for the actors, but damn, it looks good. Yeah. Um, and it's it it is more exciting. Let's just face it. Um, so we head to act five and Cisco and Kira try to get through the bulkhead to rescue Bashir and the ambassadors, but they can't get through the shielding. They're going to need a bipolar torch, which I, I don't know why the, why the torch has, has, uh, mental health issues, but, um, there it is. <laughs> the, uh, O'Brien's plan has failed. And they realize that the puppy program doesn't want to leave because it's been lonely on the probe for years. And it wants it's been to be getting... in the action. Yeah, of course. I mean, why wouldn't you? And and I think O'Brien like makes the analogy of a puppy that you lock in a room. Like it wants to get out, it wants to play, it wants to be a part of it. And then I understand. And it's been getting a lot of attention, so of course it doesn't want to leave. So O'Brien decides to build a doghouse. From a, you know, in a software way. Um, So he's going to work on that. But we get to the meat, right? So we go back to the turbo lift. And Odo is losing control. He can't hold his shape any longer. 
and he's distressed because nobody has ever seen him liquefy before. And Troy tells him not to be ashamed and tries to make it easier on him by removing her wig. Nobody has ever seen her with her normal hair. And uh, she confesses that she doesn't want to be ordinary. Uh, and is uh, she's very compassionate. And I think, and then Odo finally melts and collects, and she collects him in her lap. Uh, we get three couple good shots right here. So we have like full melty face. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I know in the moment I was like emotionally invested, but now looking back, I'm like, oh, that's reminds me of the end of Roger Rabbit. Hmm. Yeah. When Christopher Lloyd melties. Okay. Great. There he goes. Here's that special effects you were talking about earlier. Yeah. It's got T1000 kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, here she collects him. Yeah. Like, which is, the, you got all kinds of like womb type of, there's all kinds of imagery here. There's tons of wonderful. imagery there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a bit already, but like, this is such a great scene. And I would a, argue, and I'm going to argue coming up, so yeah. teaser, that this is the best scene we've had on the series thus far. Mm. I think you've got a pretty good argument for that. Yeah. Um, I think it does all the things we talked, you talked about loving Star uh, Trek about uh, yeah. for. I think it it does so many subtle and, and over, but uh, storytelling beats. It, it And it's a very small story utilizing a science fiction, ca- huge science fiction capsule with various different yeah. two aliens and science fiction stories and he's he melts into goo and it but it but it's 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 analogous it's a parable if nothing else and i just think it's just perfectly executed well and it's it it it, it is about shame right mm-hmm. the whole scene the whole thing is about shame right. and he's feeling shame because he's different and trying to hide the fact that he's different from the people around him they, they all know that he's a shapeshifter but he mimics the humanoid form as best that he can because he feels ashamed for being different. And she has the radical empathy of not only accepting that, but seeing that as an asset, seeing that as it's not a liability, it's an asset. Mm-hmm. And I think that is incredibly Star Trek and incredibly um, profound and important. And I think resonates uh both forward in time as as we're we're learning to embrace you know more diversity more differences and we will continue to that is our journey as a species so that's very universal but it's also universal from the standpoint that i don't think there's anybody in the world who doesn't feel different in some way and hasn't had shame about it and tried to hide the way that we are different and whether whether or not we inherently wanted to hide that we were different or, you know, I'll speak from my experience using Star Trek as an analogy. I showed up at school being all, being very excited and being very open about all the things that I was excited about. And that was different. Star Trek was one of them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I went out there. I'm like, I'm a big Star Trek fan. Look at all these things I love. Well, and you know what? I paid a price for that. Right. The fact that I was different. And so I went from somebody who was very open to having to sort of hide it. And put it back in a box and 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 pretend that I, I I wasn't the things that I was and the and the thing and didn't care about the things that I cared about, or at least tamp down the enthusiasm 
Um, and so it's like, I completely understand. And there's many different ways in my life in which I did that. I, I really understand that feeling um, that Odo has and the sort of the shame box we put ourselves in trying to appear normal, trying to appear like everybody else. So that's half of this equation, right? Mm-hmm. There's the other half here, which I think is also profound, and that is Troy's shame about being like everyone else, about yeah. being the same, about being ordinary, about having normal hair, right? Or, you know, whatever it is, she's her shame and her trauma is making her, as opposed to fit into a smaller box, try to break out of it, and I'm not normal. I'm not this, regular, you know, like it's, it's sort of the opposite. Um, but it's it all comes from the same place, right? They're they're both afraid to admit that they poop, <laughs> kind yeah. of. And well, you know, like take it a step further while we're here. We're just we've kind of jumped into our last segment, but like, what does it take to offer somebody the space to yeah. be their complete, unique self and feel and do what they need to do? Like this is basically like I I'm well not I'm just gonna make it another analogy. Like she's basically saying it's okay, like somebody who's been like shamed of their body for whatever reason. Yeah. I'm not even going to specify what that, whatever that body shame is. And then this, here's a person who says, I offer you no judgment, just yeah. be naked, be, and like, just like exist in your skin. And, and he's acquiesces. And, and more than that, just that subtle little beat where she does her bit about the, about the, about the, the hair. And he goes, why? It looks fine. Like it's he, right. and, and that, isn't quite empathy for him, but it's his his stark honesty where he's just like, I don't, I can't even comprehend your shame. Is just a, right. such a kind of a beautiful moment. We're all we're all trapped in our own. Yeah, no, I, I, it's it is it's all of that, and I think it's it's beautiful because what are they both doing for each other? Mm-hmm. They're being seen, right? And, you know, the, the masks are coming off and they are being seen and accepted. And, you know, for whatever, whatever they are, whether they're different or whether they're ordinary or whatever, like, you know, what are we all searching for in life? And what is the human experience? The search to be seen and accepted as we are. Now, and, I think it's yeah. important also to say we've credited the writing quite a bit. Um, I don't think I think a trap was set a little bit in that. Because the front the front portion of the episode is so kind of heavy handed with her pursuit and his mm-hmm. retreat of the like the sort of cat and mouse romanticism, it could be very difficult because the beat shifts very quickly to being not about that at all. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think in lesser hands, that would feel very abrupt and mar yeah. the beauty of this beat. But at the hands of two just skilled actors. Yeah, experienced, um, skilled. It does talented. not feel abrupt. It feels perfectly no. natural and perfectly acceptable, and either even able to beat shift back at the end. So yeah. I want to also credit, I think we will and have, but the, the, the performances really yeah. help here. Renee and Majel are yeah. phenomenal in this scene. And, you know, and I, I think it goes a step beyond that because the performances. For, for especially her performance about the shift. I love that I just stayed on this screen. <laughs> right. The, her, her performance shift from like, I'm chasing you to I'm a person now. Uh, I took from that 
and it's not said out loud, but I, I took from that that her chasing him so aggressively is part of her affectation. It's just like the wig, and that's that that is a that is a a mask that she puts on too, and that the real her is not quite so flamboyant that she's that she's there and that's that's part of the her defense mechanism is to be giant and to be aggressive and to be all of these things um that hide the the vulnerability and tenderness underneath it's it's great it's fantastic so there are other things happening too uh we find out that uh in the habitat ring cisco and kira keep cutting through the bulkhead and o'brien begins to transfer the puppy into the sub program it works and everything works again. Um, which I, I thought was a little vague, like exactly what he did with the doghouse, but I I assumed that what he did was a software version of a holodeck where they're able to put this program in and there gets lots of stimulation and lots of things are happening. Oh, uh, I yeah, I actually thought it was pretty specific. So no. every time so they had they kind of isolated it, right? And then uh every time he would try to, they would try to do some, his attention would be diverted over to the main systems. This guy would be like, screw it. We're, uh, I'm going to turn down this thing to get him back to the main right. thing. And so they had tried to extrapolate it and that pissed him off. So that what they did was they basically put him underneath all the main systems so that all the inputs to the main system would have to go through it. So it felt like it was in the mix all the mm. time and didn't actually have to like, and he trusted it enough. That's the next beat that it didn't think he would, it would interfere. It just wanted oh, to be in the mix. Yeah. yeah that, that was my feel. Interesting. All right. Well, I'll have to go back and watch it again to get the specifics of that. But I like, I like yours better than mine. Um, so uh, they go and rescue Bashir through the wreckage and discover that he saved all the ambassadors. Yay. Uh, by putting him in a Jeffrey's tube uh, to save them. And uh, they're finally nice to him. He's earned their respect. This was a, I mean, this scene kind of was like, pull one person out of the tube, compliment. Next person out of the tube, compliment. Third guy out of the tube, compliment. Nice gold suit, though, by the way, blue guy. Yeah, yeah, we got to get Mike one of those. Because, you you know, you'd wear that. Oh, hell uh, But, I, you know, but I get it. You I know, mean, like I get Because if, if you think about it, like you've all been at a restaurant, right? And you're with your parents or your grandparents and everybody's, you know, and everyone gets blitzed. Mm-hmm. And but we the waiter was really funny. And mm-hmm. then everybody like had a great time with the waiter and you leave you a big tip. And then on your way out, you're like, you see the the major day and like, hey, you know, Bobby, the waiter was great. Yeah, he did it. And it's it was it was one of those things. And the, the Vulcans was the best. He's like, he was he did. They, it was the worst line of the whole episode. He's like, <laughs> he was very logical and smart. Or I was like, <laughs> just name things Vulcans like. <laughs> I mean, but that's the, that is the limitation of the Vulcan yeah. species. Like, I, this is why I've never really responded well to them because it's like logic. He, yeah, we, yeah, you, yeah, he, we he get it. What's next? logically and efficiently. <laughs> yeah, well, look, they were drunk. Okay, they all yeah, got smashed. Right. That, yeah. That's what happened. They were in a tube together for a little too long. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Hey, what ha- what happens in the Jeffrey's tube stays in the Jeffrey's, in the Jeffrey's tube. tube. Good to know. So uh, Odo and Troy are finally out of the elevator. They've bonded too, of course, and she promises to get it on for real next time. Mm-hmm. And Odo's like, "Yeah, man, maybe I'm up for it now." So uh, that's the face of a man who. He's like, yeah, yeah, all right, all right, all right. We, we, no, Touch my face again and see what happens. Yeah, let's see what happens, yeah. 
And uh, O'Brien explains how he trapped the puppy programming by transferring it and giving it a folder on his Dropbox. And he's going to <coughs> adopt it. So uh, there you are. There's the Forsaken. Now it is, uh, it is time for everybody's favorite vocab quiz. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek vocabulary quiz. Your first word is bipolar torch. Well, Keith, everyone knows that when the puppy computer locks down the doors too tight, and you mm-hmm. can't get through with your phaser set to door melt. There's mm-hmm. only one thing that can get the job done, but is never actually shown in practice, so we can't actually confirm that it would have worked. That's mm-hmm. the bipolar torch. Indeed it is. That is correct. Where's my correct? Here it is. Affirmative. That's Major Barrett. Hey. See? It's all she's, coming she's, back Is she coming together. on to me? She might be. <laughs> Your next word is... Isolinear rods. Oh, yes. Well, when you are trying to sub-function a puppy computer or figure out why the, the shit is hitting the fan, the lights are turning off, and the elevator gets stuck, you got to mix with some like little biological tubes in a Rolodex thingy inside of a computer hub. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, no. I'll but take the, it. The, the isolinear rods, they're kind of like your backup hard drives. Mm-hmm. They're they're sort of like halfway between RAM and and hard disk, but that's that's where you store all your data on isolinear chips and rods. All right, these uh, things, right? Yeah. No, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we see them on on next generation too. They have little little chips and little data will rearrange them and and uh, yeah, it's you know it's it's what we imagined the USB flash drives to look like, yeah. but the apparently the whole ship runs on them. So, there you are. All right. Well, uh, Mike, what do you say we move along home? I think it only right to do that. Mm hmm. Let us begin, as we always do, with uh, wormholes in the plot. Mike, did you find any wormholes in the plot? You know, not really. I mean, I guess as we talk about Technobabble often, you you could argue that there's some things that are not particularly clear with the whole sub, like the what is that species of computer thing? Mm -hmm. And like O'Brien, we just like, clearly it can uh, affect the ship. Right, it can it can do bad things to the ship if it feels like it hasn't been played with enough that day, and yet O'Brien trusts it enough to just like let it stay in within the subsystem of the main functions. Like it doesn't key doesn't kick it out, and Ben was just like, "All right, cool." Like yeah. So, uh, but they establish early enough that Ben trusts. He says the words, "Do what you think is necessary." He trusts his engineer guy to do what is so. I'm I'm okay with it. And obviously mm-hmm. there's not enough time to really get into the specifics of the species. And they've they've set the precedent that sometimes we're gonna meet new species and not get all the answers, right? There's yeah. gonna be lingering yeah, things. Sure. So so I'm i I'm okay with that. For me, really, I don't see any wormholes specifically. The only sort of trite thing in the plot, which we've ex- we've explained, and they do the best with it, I think, 
because of just a lack of money at this point. It's like, well, here we are, this advanced thing, and we just, we literally get stuck in the elevator? Like, the best, the main plot of the episode is like, because we got stuck in the elevator. And there's, we can't even beam you out of an elevator? We got all this tech, we got all this stuff. We were on a planet where they can, like, manifest bringing people back to life, but we can't get you out of the elevator. That is a well, little, like... I mean, they, I, there's a whole B plot that explains it. No, no, no. Well, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix it for you. Okay. And that, and that is because of the over reliance on technology, right? Because as soon as, like, like take your car, right? If you're, if you had a car in the '70s or '80s, and something went wrong, you can point to the physical thing. Oh, that piece of metal is broken or worn out, and you replace that piece of metal, and then it works. Well, now all of our cars are, they're like supercomputers, right? And they've got all of these integrated computer systems. And if the computer goes down, none of it works. Mm. So you can't really fix it. So, I mean, uh, if, you know, you, a lot of people used to fix their cars. Well, they can't anymore because it's too technologically complex. And, uh, you know, a sensor goes wrong and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good your iPhone is. Eh, computer doesn't work, doesn't work. Can't do anything. Yeah. So there anything you go. Anything else? What, what did you, you notice? Anything? Yeah. I mean, my. I think. I think the uh, the same same storyline, right? With the with the the computer program, it it felt like an A story that got shunted to a B story. Mm-hmm. Um. So therefore, it's a little underbaked. Yeah. For uh, sure. I I just it wasn't necessarily wormholes. I just have a lot of questions, right? Like, yeah. what was the level of sentience of this of this program? Right? Was it able to communicate? Was it not able to communicate? Was it self-aware? Is it not self-aware? How was it able to know which programs to shut down to get attention? It's it's a little bit, um, you know. And I get they did sort of like a puppy, which is sort of an agent of chaos, and it is like sort of self-aware, but can't really talk to you. I don't know. Um, I had questions about all of that, and um, you know, I, I would assume they'd have Windows Defender when they moved the file over. Uh, to at least have the ability to quarantine it before they, uh, you know, start monkeying with it. So, but again, it's different technology. Maybe they have the ability to override. I don't know. Um, it just, it wasn't a wormhole as much as a, I could have used a little bit more explanation, but it, it, it didn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. The purpose of that story was to find an excuse to trap Odo in the elevator. And to find an excuse to have something blow up yeah. so Bashir could save it. So it doesn't really matter. So, um, yeah, so it's not really wormhole. Let's move forward to, I think, uh, I think we, we both know what it's going to be. What's the best moment of this episode? Yeah, I think it's the moment in the elevator. I, really all of it in the elevator. But specifically yeah. that last uh, that last scene where Odo kind of lets go and and, you know, they they, they had a whole episode to bake it. So it, it, it really earned it. And. You know, we 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 talked, we waxed a lot about it already, so I don't want to, to relitigate the whole thing. But you know, we were able; they were able to just kind of capture shame and capture the 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 uncomfortability sometimes of letting go. And yeah. what what I thought was also powerful was that it's not a res; it didn't wasn't a resolution. It wasn't like he came out on the other side and was like, "Oh, now I can just be myself and I can right. do whenever necessary." It was it was a really vulnerable moment and he thank God he found someone it was it was it wasn't about letting go, right? Really? Because 
he didn't really progress to that next step of it being okay. I think it was about empathy, I think was a lot about this, and yeah. about recognizing shame, and about some, the people in your life who give you that space, and how rare that is, and how beautiful it is, really, and difficult, even for two yeah. seemingly very strong people. And that's a re- that's another really, uh, that's really another just swing of confidence, I think, because they didn't fix Odo. They didn't fix his shame. They didn't, there was no real resolution to it. It just was, it was what it was. It was a moment well, that I, had I, a lot to say. Um, go ahead, go ahead, kick in. Well, it's just, I, I think it's, I think it was realistic though. Yeah, Because totally. as, as we all battle with our shame and, and learn to accept ourselves and learn to let go and let, let in, like it's a baby steps. You know, and I and I do think Odo comes out of this changed, but he's changed like any of the rest of us, a little bit. So maybe next time he might be a little bit more likely to be vulnerable, as opposed to like I've had this magical breakthrough, which I think is, you know, clearly the writers of this episode have uh, have done some work on themselves and have spent some time in therapy and have spent some time understanding the human condition. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, finish your thought. No, so I mean, I think that scene is is just like I had said, mwah, Chef's Kiss, almost a perfect scene. Best, I think, one of one of the best in the in the in the series so far, if not the best. Um, that's not to discount some great work in, in other things. I think that you know, probably uh, the. Sh- well, I'll talk about that later. Uh, that's my favorite scene. Yeah, I, I no, I completely agree. I mean, it's scenes like this, um, are what makes Deep Space Nine special. And I don't, you know, there's there are moments like this in Next Generation and a little bit less in Voyager, but it's not unprecedented. But landing it quite like this is kind of what makes Deep Space Nine Deep Space Nine. Um, because it is the most, I think it is the most human of the Star Trek series. And I say that with a Betazoid and a Shapeshifter, but it it, it is... Um, it's the most emotionally vulnerable and emotionally honest uh, series in Trek, I believe. Um, and I think it is, this is where it really rises above and, and, and rises to, to the level of um, storytelling and emotional storytelling that all good television and film aspires to and able to do it in the sci-fi context. And uh, it's, yeah. It's tremendous. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. we know we like it. So, uh, let us uh, uh, let let's give out some uh, self sealing stem bolts, shall we, Mike? Yeah. So you know, uh, the we love the ace the the main storyline. I think that that is pretty clear. Uh, and I think the B storyline is uh, fine. Like you said, it's a little underbaked, but you can't they can't all be f- totally fully baked. Um, yeah. The the storyline that I feel like we get enough of, but I feel was a little bit, and I'm sure he'll get another one. But I really felt like Bashir had a had a really cool moment here to to sort of like re get redefined a little bit, mm-hmm. and it's it's truncated even more than the O'Brien computer beat. I think we get enough, but. Maybe we could have saved it for another episode where we had more time. It it seemed a little. It didn't. We didn't need it. I like yeah. that we got it. We didn't need it, and it 
it wasn't particularly additive. I mean, I guess it gave it gave Ben some something to do. It gave him, but I don't know that we needed it. It wasn't particularly additive, and so I, I it's not like a perfect episode because that felt a little superlative or uh, not not superlative. Uh, superfluous. Superfluous. Thank you. See, Keith, I'm not going to be ashamed. I'll, if I don't know the word, I'm just going to say I don't know the word. All right. Look, it was it was superlative vocabulary. Thank you. So, but 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 it didn't hurt anything. It wasn't. It didn't. It wasn't. Right. It didn't subtract anything from the episode. Do you have the spreadsheet up? What's the best rating I've given? Uh, the best rating that you have given is Dax with eighty-eight point nine five self-sealing stem bolts. So much like that episode, I think we gained such great insight into Odo this episode, who's one of our my favorite characters and so complex and such a great performance by Renee. And but here we get to see something the vulnerability of a character and that kind of an exploration in a show that hasn't really gone that route. You know, we've seen some Kira go through some stuff, but we haven't yeah. re- and we've and Dax Dax was a great episode, really explored a really interesting concept, sci- a sci-fi concept. And this is the opposite, right? This is us exploring a really human condition, a difficult human condition, multifaceted, tough-to-talk-about human condition through the lens of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So equally powerful, different tactics, all the things we love about science fiction, all the things you've said you love about Star Trek. I think it's the best we've seen so far. I'm going with it, Keith. I'm saying 91.5 self-sealing stem bolts. Yeah, you know, I find myself um, surprised by this You episode. don't remember. You don't remember as loving it as much. Well, I, I remember I, I, I remember that scene, right? I remember like, mm-hmm. oh, I remember that was a really good scene. That was a really good, like, thing there. But I think this is one on re-examination. I like it more and more. There are so many episodes where, like, the first time you're like, oh, my God, that's so cool. That's so great. And then, like, you you look at a little, you scratch a little bit on the surface. I'm like, eh, it starts to fall apart, starts to feel whatever. Um, but this one I like more and more. And I think that um, the uh, the gift of context of understanding the whole scope of this journey that we're going to go on with Odo and knowing that this is just like, this is the the first, the first layer of the onion has come Mm -hmm. off and there are so many layers yet to go. Um, It's, it's the type of thing that makes me very excited to continue this journey. Um, So yeah, I, I'm surprised to say I do think this so far is the best episode of the season. Um, and, uh, and it, but, but it's not the one people go back to a lot. And it's not the one that I would have off the top of my head thought, you know, just like, what's the best episode of season one, right? And I'll be like, I wouldn't have even thought of this episode. Huh. But now I take it back. I think on reexamination, it really, uh, really gets better. So, uh, you know, sometimes there's some types of leftovers that taste better the second time you eat it. That's true. Like chili. Chili mm-hmm. gets better every time you freeze it and unfreeze it and eat it again later. Uh, so, And sometimes uh, leftovers make you sweat and poop. So the sometimes analogy it, goes right know, into the Chili episode. also makes you sweat and poop. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're children. Uh, you know so what? I Hold actually, on. Hold on. Because 
uh, to speaking of vulnerability, I'll say, you know, there's it doesn't end, right? Like even at in our forties now and doing this yeah. podcast, Jeez. and we, you know, you know, often as as hard as we put as much effort as we put into this stuff, you look at the viewers, you look at the subs, you look at the fact that like these twelve year olds are able to produce like Hollywood level content us. on YouTube, and you're just like. Why are we, what the, what, what? But, you know, we're trying, Keith and I are still, even now, trying to, like, just get over that crap that your mind tells you that you're terrible, and you just keep doing it because you like to do it, and, and you got to put yourself out there, and that's, that's, it, it, it's all, it never ends. So this, yeah. this, at this episode today is as valuable as it was when it aired, and that's good television. Well, and that's and that's what I mean about it getting more meaningful the more you watch it because it's I don't think it's as much how many times I've seen the episode, but how well I know myself watching the episode again, and the more I resonate with it, and the more it's less about the sci-fi and more about like oh god, now I really understand uh, the depth of all of that. So uh, before you gave out your uh, your stem bolts, I. Uh, I wrote down, oh, man, I think it's backwards. Oh, no, all right. So I I wrote down the number of uh, stem bolts that I had. I wrote down 91 to your 91.5. So uh, I'm I'm surprised. I'm surprised. But here we are. I'm very, I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to have enjoyed this episode as much as I did. So, um, yeah, so there we are. That is The Forsaken. Next week, we are doing the episode Dramatis Personae. Uh, I don't know why my phone is screaming right now. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so uh, we're going to see what happens next week. Uh, but uh, till then, you can find us on patreon.com slash K&M. Uh, join all the fun. Watch Mike. Watch this next episode. Maybe we'll see some of his. And uh, uh, till then, folks. This has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM.